So, Wes, come on up. Um, so, Wes Markovsky was part of our fellowship for a number of years, and um, I, ha I have a lot of good memories of having discussions in the backyard of Dave Lotterell's house <laughs> while smoking cigars and <laughs> <laughs> drinking wine, along with um, uh, Tom Stevens and many other uh, of the usual suspects. <laughs> and uh, it was just so refreshing. I can remember having such great conversations and great insights, and it just really fed my soul to be with him. So you are um, going to be very blessed this morning in this time of teaching. Um, so let me pray for you, Wes. Father God, we just thank you for our dear brother being with us and for his family being in town as well. Um, just pour out your Holy Spirit upon him this morning. Give him the words he needs to share with us in this time of reflection and insight on gospels and i just pray lord that you would bless him with every spiritual blessing that you would ju just pour out upon him all the words that he needs to utter in our presence thank you thank you for for his for him and for his family and for the community that he's serving up in minnesota uh, in jesus name amen Amen. Thank you, Eric. Hello, everybody. Uh, it is really a gift and a joy to be here with you all this morning in person. Um, still getting used to that. Uh, uh, I'm not, we're also still getting used to Minnesota, Eric. We are definitely not uh, acculturated. Uh, there are a lot of Scandinavians in Minnesota, and Scandinavians are different uh, than... Uh, than some of the rest of us. And so we're still, yes, learning how to manage that transition. It's just one state over, but uh, uh, there are some differences. So, um, and thank you, uh, Aggie and Tom and the worship team. As we were, in, uh, as we were worshiping, I saw uh, the wind of the spirit blowing like around us, like as individuals in these really unpredictable ways, kind of just softly and then powerfully moving out and moving around sort of in waves and then up. And so I'm just uh, praying, God, uh, God, move in power today. Holy Spirit, move in power. Uh, inspire uh, with, with your inspiration and revelation. Uh, speak to us wherever we may be uh, in this room uh, and uh, joining us in worship from wherever, uh, wherever we are. Uh, hello, old friends. Uh, 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 not in the room, uh, watching and joining us as well uh, uh, online. So... Um, so yeah, really fantastic to, to be here with you all. Uh, when Scott uh, asked me uh, if I would be interested in teaching uh, on Sunday and sharing with you, I went home and started uh, you know, praying about it and talking to my family about it to see uh, uh, whether this was a good idea. And uh, as I was starting to sense like a yes, this would be a good thing to do, uh, my family quickly stepped in with a lot of uh, really helpful advice for me. Uh, uh, right, right away, uh, my oldest daughter Kaya over here uh, uh, looked at me with this sweet smile and paused, and she said, "Dad, don't go into professor mode." 
you know, where you go on and on about uh, historical context or the background meaning of words or, uh, you know, telling five stories all at one time and never completing the sentence. Uh, uh, my wife, Neil, calls me King Kama sometimes for... Uh, uh, I, r I talk like Paul, right, on and on and on with seven different ideas and one thing. So guys, like, don't go into professor mode, right? And so Neil was away, and then I came home. Uh, uh, she came home in the afternoon. She'd been spending some time with, with friends, and uh, I, I raised the idea to her, and she immediately said, don't lecture. Uh, don't give a lecture. Don't go into lecture mode. Uh, just on and on and on, right? Tell some jokes. Tell some funny stories. Uh, uh, you know, uh, uh, don't just be a professor. And then Sasha just kept it simple, like, don't be a preacher. Uh, don't preach. So I've been getting lots of, uh, 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 they have me pegged. Uh, what can I say? I have a, a reputation, I guess, in the house uh, for a certain way of talking. So uh, they've been trying to teach me and help me. Uh, you're forewarned. I'm going to try to not do all of the things they told me not to do. Uh, but, you know, uh, it's... Uh, uh, it, it, I'm a professor, so like if I go that way, you're forewarned, right? I, uh, I apologize in advance, uh, and you're, my family uh, tried, to, tried to help you all out. So um, yeah, yeah. So the scripture, uh, the scripture for today, uh, that uh, uh, we're in, a, in the middle of a, of a series on sent ones, right? Luke 9 and 10 here at the church uh, on being sent ones, and the scripture today is Luke 9, uh, verses 37 through 50. Uh, Luke 9, verses 37 through 50. Um, and Scott's tentative title when he talked to me about today was uh, uh, Power and Childlikeness, uh, which seemed like a good title to me. So Power and Childlikeness, Luke 9, 37 to 50. Um, and uh, let's take a look at it. So uh, 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 verse 37, uh, the next day after they had come down the mountain, a large crowd met Jesus a man in the crowd called out to him, Teacher, I beg you to look at my son, my only child. Uh, an evil spirit keeps seizing him, making him scream. It throws him into convulsions so that he foams at the mouth. It batters him and hardly ever leaves him alone. I begged your disciples to cast out the spirit, but they couldn't do it. And Jesus said, You faithless and corrupt people, how long will I be with you and put up with you? And then he said to the man, bring your son here. As the boy came forward, the demon knocked him to the ground and threw him into a violent convulsion. But Jesus rebuked the evil spirit and healed the boy. Then he gave him back to his father and awe gripped the people as they saw this majestic display of God's power. And while everyone was marveling at everything that he was doing, Jesus said to his disciples, listen to me and remember what I say. The son of man is going to be betrayed into the hands of his enemies. But they didn't know what it meant. Its significance was hidden from them, so they couldn't understand it, and they were afraid to ask him about it. Then his disciples began arguing about which one of them was the greatest. But Jesus knew their thoughts, so he brought a little child to his side. Then he said to them, anyone who welcomes a little child like this on my behalf welcomes me, and also welcomes the Father who sent me. Whoever is the least among you is the greatest. And John said to Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't in our group. We'll come back to this. Uh, but Jesus said, don't stop him. Anyone who is not against you is for you. So, um, so uh, about 10 years ago, almost to the day, 
uh, my, our young family uh, embarked from Madison. We were living in, in Madison at the time. I was in the middle of graduate school. Uh, almost 10 years to the day, we embarked on what we've come to call uh, the, the Big Adventure. Uh, it was an 18-month road trip uh, that took us from our home here in Madison, uh, first to Kansas City, Missouri, uh, then back to Madison, and then to Portland, Oregon, and to Los Angeles, and Atlanta, and Boston. Uh, before driving back home to Madison. Uh, it was pretty epic, right? Uh, uh, the whole trip was built on small and large acts of faith during a really long and grueling desert season for us. Uh, Neil was working as an occupational therapist at St. Mary's Hospital and UW Hospital. I was in the thick of graduate school at the University of Wisconsin, uh, about halfway through my PhD, uh, coming off a six-month period on academic probation because I was taking too long to finish my master's thesis. Um, uh, which eventually became the foundation of my first book. Uh, uh, it took so long because I didn't really know what I was doing in the first five or six years of grad school uh, at all, uh, because our oldest daughter, Kaya, was, three, was born uh, three years into, uh, uh, into after I started my PhD, PhD program, uh, uh, because Neil and I were leading an intentional missional community associated with 24-7 prayer at the time. Uh, while being in grad school full-time and working full-time and having a, a, a three-year-old. Um, uh, because I kept applying and getting rejected over and over and over again, getting rejected for grants and fellowships that would have helped me uh, spend a little less time on teaching and spend a little bit more time on my uh, uh, dissertation research and my master's research. Uh, because we'd invested a, a significant amount of time and money in this uh, failed uh, real estate venture, a uh, little thing that uh, just... Uh, uh, right around the Great Recession, and it didn't go well, and uh, kept us stuck again financially in different ways. Um, and because I was trying to turn my master's thesis into a book, which anyone will tell you is a crazy idea. Um, so, so it was an intense time. It was a really hard time. Uh, when we left on the, for the big adventure, we only had money for about half of the trip, uh, and we didn't know where the rest of it was going to come from. Uh, and we were living on this really, really tight shoestring budget. We didn't know. We knew we were staying in Portland, but we didn't know where we would actually be able to stay in Los Angeles, in Boston, in Atlanta. We didn't have a lot of money. Those were expensive places, right? It was a pretty big, uh, pretty big leap in a time of pretty intense, uh, uh, already intense, uh, intense life. Um, and we, so, so we hit the road uh, in August of 2011 in our little uh, Toyota Corolla. It's just jam-packed. My brother actually helped us get like the last little pieces of like what we thought we'd need uh, on the road uh, while traveling across the country with a toddler, while conducting research, uh, with no money. Um, and before we left, though, so all this is going on. It's a hard season. It's intense. Uh, uh, as Neil was contemplating all of the like financial and housing and relational like risk and uncertainty and how is this all going to work out uh, surrounding the trip, she kept coming back to the same thought. Uh, I'll be okay as long as I have a car. Uh, so, she's, uh, so after about two days we're driving, of driving, we reach Montana. Uh, and again, things have been pretty intense, kind of packing and preparing, getting ready for the trip. Uh, uh, but as we hit Montana after about two days, kind of calming down, you're just driving, right? There's nothing you can do. Uh, Neil starts to say, I'm starting to relax a little bit. I'm starting to unwind a little bit. I'm starting to enjoy uh, this trip. Like, maybe this is going to be great. Maybe this is going to be fun. Like, uh, 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 this is, uh, is kind of enjoyable. And I can never get sort of enough, like, natural beauty. So I'm constantly, as we hit Montana, like, I'm always like, you know, look over there, look over there. That's amazing. Look over there. And my family's, you know, humoring me uh, as, as they do. Uh, and uh, 
Uh, so we're in this place, we're just starting to unra- re- you know, re- relax and unwind a little bit, and we're um, crossing the Continental Divide uh, near, uh, near Butte, Montana. Um, it's the, right, the great watershed uh, that uh, uh, decides how uh, waters flow from east to west uh, across the continent. Um, and our packed little green Corolla was working really hard to handle the elevation. It's chugging along, trying to do its thing. We finally reached the pinnacle and started our downward descent. And about a minute after crossing the Continental Divide, he looks at me and says, do you hear that rattling? Uh, yes, I hear the rattling. It's pretty obvious. There's not just rattling. There's some banging. Uh, it's getting louder. Um, uh, uh, it's, it's, uh, it, 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 it didn't sound good. I'm starting to, to lose power. The, par- the car starts to lose power. Um, I'm not a car guy, but I know enough uh, to know that uh, rattling and banging and losing power isn't a good, uh, isn't a good situation to be in uh, uh, at, at this moment. So uh, things are starting to get tense, and my plan was to sort of coast down the mountain as far as we could go and uh, kind of cr- get a, a tow or a cruise or something to the nearest mechanic shop and figure out... Uh, uh, what was going on. Uh, but so as we're coasting down the mountain, like it's still, it's gorgeous, right? It's the Continental Divide, there's mountains. So I'm still like, I'm still in the moment. I'm like, look at that mountain. You're, look over there, look over there, look over there. And after about two or three of those, you know, Neil looks at me and <laughs> a bit of exasperation, her voice is shaking a little bit, uh, handling it well. But like, if you tell me to look over there one more time, the unfinished threat, right, is always the, the, the most uh, scary one. And do you hear our car, right? It's like yelling at us. It's rattling. It's shaking. Like, I can't look at the landscape, right? Um, so it turned out, uh, as you probably have guessed, right, that our engine was blown. A uh, rod was thrown out, engine blown. Uh, uh, we have to leave the car in Butte, Montana, uh, after a couple days of trying to figure out what to do and how to handle all this. Uh, uh, Neil started calling it uh, Butt Montana um, in her in her displeasure, uh, not with the place, uh, 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 with with the situation. Uh, and we uh, uh, had to rent a car, pack all our stuff in there. There's a whole nother story around that. Uh, car top carriers flying off of the interstate because it didn't fit the new rental car. Yeah, nuts, right? Totally nuts. Um, uh, but so rent a car to go to Portland, uh, and then we li- where we lived for four months without having a car uh, uh, during the first kind of four months of our, of our research time. Uh, so, you know, it, it, really, it really wasn't the best way to start, like, a high-risk adventure on the road, like, 18-month road trip, uh, uh, year-long sort of faith journey in the midst of an already really, really challenging season. And, of course, right, like, the one thing, like, I'll be okay uh, as long as I have a car and the car lasted two days and, uh, and didn't have it. So, uh, so super intense, but as we, were, as we were coasting down the mountain without power and our car banging and yelling at us, uh, we started praying and worshiping, right? Like uh, right away. Um, and uh, you know, God help us, right? At one point, Neil stopped and looked at the top of the mountain uh, and she <laughs> it's like, is that Jesus? Uh, I, and, and sure enough, there was a white figure, like a large white statue, sort of like the Rio de Janeiro Jesus, but much smaller, like on the top of the mountain, like uh, uh, over there. Uh, um, it was a funny moment in a time of stress and one of like many examples of how God sort of kept trying to get our attention in those like couple of days and then afterwards to uh, sort of keep us uh, uh, um, uh, hold on to help us hold on, hold on to hope and, and childlike faith in, uh, in the middle of a pretty uh, stressful and frustrating uh, 
uh, situation, again, during a time where it was sort of, it, it, we're, we're hoping for uh, a shift away from stress and uh, a, a turning. We had had a, 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 a time in prayer uh, a couple months before leaving for this trip in which the Lord was talking to us about watershed. Uh, and it seemed to us that he was saying that like there was a watershed coming and a watershed was sort of a turning from this season of in kind of intensity and loss and disappointment and frustration to maybe some, uh, some uh, prophetic promises being fulfilled, some, uh, some different kinds of uh, turning of our, of, our, of our situation. And um, uh, so we're holding on to this you know, word and uh, holding on to God's promises in the midst of, uh, uh, of a lot of intense stuff and sort of uh, losing our car as we crossed the Continental Divide wasn't the sort of thing we had in mind when <laughs> we heard that word watershed um, at the beginning of this, of this journey. Um, so, so, so we, um, wh when, in the, going back to the, the Luke 9, right, when Jesus is coming down, so when Jesus and his disciples at the start of our, our reading today um, encounter an upset crowd and the father of a boy afflicted by intense spiritual oppression, um, they were coming down from a rather different mountaintop experience at the time, so right before uh, was the transfiguration. So uh, uh, the, the, the Peter, James, and John, right, had just witnessed the transfiguration in which Jesus is transformed into glory and he's talking to Moses and Elijah uh, about uh, his uh, soon, uh, uh, soon to come uh, crucifixion in Jerusalem. Uh, and just prior to that, right, in Luke 9, uh, uh, Peter had recognized Jesus uh, as the Messiah sent from God. Uh, also, uh, for the first time, uh, the chosen one for whom all Israel and creation had been waiting. Uh, and after Peter's recognition that Jesus was, in fact, the long-awaited Messiah, uh, Jesus immediately began teaching uh, about uh, uh, the teaching uh, those who were following him and listening to him uh, that the way of the kingdom, right, God's, uh, Jesus has been teaching about the kingdom, the kingdom of God is like, the kingdom of God is like. And he immediately begins teaching them that the, the way of the kingdom uh, is the way of the cross. Uh, Jesus tells his disciples, right, in Luke 9, 22, uh, the Son of Man must suffer many terrible things. Uh, he will be rejected by the elders, the leading priests, and the teachers of religious law. He will be killed, but on the third day he will be raised from the dead. Uh, then he told the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, you must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you'll lose it. If you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. And there's a lot of really rich things going on in this whole Luke 9, uh, Luke 9, nar Luke 9 narrative. Uh, uh, but I want to focus most of my comments on the last section of today's readings, uh, kind of verses 46 through 50, uh, where Jesus contrasts the ambition, position-focused, and power-focused, and control-focused minds of his disciples uh, with the, uh, the humble trust and welcome of a child. Um, so, 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 uh, wait a minute. Pardon me, sorry. Let me grab a little water here. I've been thinking a lot lately about, uh, about boundaries, uh, and more specifically about the relationship between boundaries and power. Uh, and we see, again, uh, some of uh, uh, these different ways of thinking about uh, power. Uh, and hierarchy and uh, boundaries in uh, verses 46 through 50 uh, of this uh, uh, section in Luke 9. Uh, as, as little people, 
uh, living in a big world with many problems in which we are vulnerable to all sorts of unexpected obstacles, uh, unwelcome changes, unforeseen threats, and unseen dangers, uh, and lots of uncertain outcomes, we tend to look for safety and comfort and a sense of control uh, in the boundaries that we set up uh, between ourselves and other people uh, or between ourselves and our environments. Uh, we do this as individuals and as communities, uh, right? We construct boundaries around all sorts of things, around our body or our physical self, uh, around our, our home, uh, where we live, where we work, where we play, the kinds of neighborhoods that we, uh, that we live in, that we feel comfortable in, uh, the home environment that we feel safe and comfortable in. Uh, we construct boundaries around our friends and our family and who we spend time with, uh, our faith communities, uh, and spiritual understandings, uh, our sense of racial, ethnic, or cultural identity uh, and group belonging, uh, our gender or sexual identity, uh, our political beliefs and attachments to different political parties or groups or social movements, uh, our sense of security and attachment to the values and protections and privileges of being an American uh, or whatever uh, nationality uh, we may sort of identify with and belong to. Uh, at all these levels, we tend to make uh, choices and construct boundaries uh, based on who we feel comfortable uh, and uncomfortable listening to, uh, or who we feel comfortable and uncomfortable learning from, uh, and who we feel comfortable and uncomfortable uh, interacting with, uh, and those, uh, those that we don't, uh, based on where we feel comfortable and safe and understood and valued and known. Uh, and where we don't, and what sorts of practices or activities we feel comfortable uh, or uncomfortable engaging in, and how we believe different relationships and groups and places uh, ought to function. Um, and many of these identities and attachments themselves are good, right? They can be life-giving, they can be healthy and positive and enriching. Uh, they make us who we are, uh, and they're part of what it means to be human in uh, the wonderfully unique and different ways that we're all that we express ourselves uh, as individuals and uh, in communities. Uh, but we have a very strong tendency as people uh, to make idols out of these boundaries uh, and attachments, to place all our hope and our comfort in them, uh, to seek our own advancement and interests through them, to construct walls and weapons to protect them, uh, to cling to them for safety and comfort and protection. Uh, to find too much of our personal value and identity in them, uh, to fear or to scorn anyone who questions or challenges uh, the boundaries that make us feel safe and secure uh, in who we are uh, and in uh, what we believe, and uh, to attack or to avoid uh, those who make us feel insecure uh, or threatened or who make us feel under attack ourselves. Uh, at any of these different uh, different kinds of individual or, or communal levels. Uh, and uh, um, these are all natural human tendencies, uh, right? Uh, and we see it happening with the disciples uh, and the crowds following Jesus throughout the Gospels and again here in this section in Luke 9, uh, right? So the disciples have realized that Jesus is the Messiah sent from God, though they don't yet really know what that means. Uh, they've just witnessed the transfiguration. Uh, Jesus is performing miracles. Uh, delivering people from demonic oppression. He's healing multitudes, attracting huge crowds. Uh, and the disciples have even begun to do some of these themselves, right? Being sent out in different ways and uh, having God move through them uh, in the power of the Spirit. Not always successfully, as we see at the beginning of, uh, of this passage, uh, but still uh, 
uh, they are participating, right, in this uh, amazing work that, that, that Jesus is doing. Uh, and excitement is growing, everyone's amazed, the crowds are growing, uh, there seems to be no limit to Jesus' power. Uh, the disciples know that they're in the middle of something huge, right? And they're right at the center of it. They've been chosen, right, by the Messiah, by Jesus. Like, they've been picked out, you know, personally uh, by the Messiah sent by God to restore Israel, right, and uh, redeem the world. Uh, it's pretty heady stuff. Uh, uh, and they start arguing among them uh, about uh, who's the greatest, uh, right? Uh, uh, who's next in charge after Jesus? Uh, what's the hierarchy? Uh, you know, who's got, uh, who's sacrificed the most to join the group? Who's got the best resume? Uh, who, uh, who has the best training uh, or education? Who's the most charismatic uh, among us? Uh, who seems to have an in uh, with Jesus? Who's um, uh, accomplished the most uh, for the cause, right? They're arguing, uh, who's the greatest? Uh, and then in addition to arguing amongst themselves about sort of the proper ordering and hierarchy uh, and power within their group, uh, they want to make sure that it's them and only them uh, who is, gets to speak and do miracles in the name of Jesus. All right, so John tells Jesus, Master, we saw someone using your name to cast out demons, but we told him to stop because he isn't a part of our group. Uh, think about that. Right? We told him to stop doing miracles, to stop representing Christ, uh, seeking deliverance from oppression, uh, because he isn't in our group. Uh, these other people doing miracles in your name, Jesus, you know, they, don't, they, don't, they don't know Jesus the same way we do. They didn't go to our discipleship school. They're not part of our denomination. Uh, they don't have spiritual covering. Uh, we don't know them. Uh, they're not part of our group. They're not the right sort of people. Uh, they don't belong to us, right? Uh, Jesus' followers want to set boundaries around who is or is not authorized to speak and work in the name of Jesus, and by extension, the name of God. Uh, setting boundaries based on their own position and understanding uh, keeps them in control, right? And it keeps us in control of who's in and who's out, who's close to Jesus and who's not close to Jesus, uh, uh, who knows God and who doesn't know God, uh, at least according to our own understanding and judgment, uh, right? Uh, often our attempts to construct and maintain boundaries are more about our own power, our own privilege, our own comfort, our own security, and our own control than they are about following Jesus uh, and, and following Jesus by loving others more than we love ourselves. Um, and how does Jesus respond to all this? Uh, how does Jesus respond to all this, right? Jesus is like, no, 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 right? Let them do it. Uh, let these other people keep speaking and, in my, and delivering uh, uh, in my name. Uh, don't stop them. Uh, I, I imagine Jesus uh, uh, thinking uh, in his head, like, uh, are you kidding me, uh, right? Like, do you see all the pain and evil and injustice and oppression around you? Uh, do you see all these multitudes looking for a better way, looking to experience the love and power and goodness of God on earth as it is in heaven? Uh, do you see how many are hungry and thirsty for justice, uh, for righteousness, for healing, for transformation, for authentic friendship and love? Do you see them? Uh, and do you see how few people care and know about them enough to invite them into experiences of God's love, of God's healing, of God's deliverance, of God's justice, of God's connection? Um, to invite them to experience God's power in different ways. Uh, don't stop them. Instead, pray for the Spirit to prepare and send more workers into these fields that are ripe for harvest. 
Uh, and Paul says the same thing uh, in uh, 1 Corinthians 3 and in Philippians 1, uh, talking about other kind of church leaders and conflicts among boundaries and denominations and hierarchy within uh, uh, the Jesus movement, right? Like, uh, it's not your concern. Don't stop them. Uh, let God be the one to set boundaries, uh, not you. Uh, don't focus your attention uh, on maintaining those uh, c- control and boundaries yourselves. Uh, let God be the one uh, to, to do this work. Um, uh, focus, uh, 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 let, let God set, set the boundaries of the group, uh, whether that's uh, in your own individual life or community or church community, uh, uh, what have you, of who God invites, and, uh, and also of who God invites to follow and represent Christ. Uh, and uh, uh, be empowered to uh, be sent by Christ uh, out into the world to represent him. Uh, not you, uh, uh, not us. Uh, uh, but I, I think as, as individuals and communities, uh, our instinctive practice, uh, right, often is to hold on to power, right, to hold on to uh, control, to seek more of it uh, in order to protect what we have, uh, to try to control our environment with it. Uh, to use it uh, for our own advantage, uh, to uh, draw boundaries around ourselves and our communities for our own comfort and protection and control. Uh, But as we see in Luke 9 and uh, throughout Scripture, Jesus' practice, uh, which is the way of God's kingdom, uh, calls us something too radically different, uh, right? Uh, German pastor and theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, famously writes in The Cost of Discipleship uh, that when Christ calls someone, uh, he bids them come and die. And I remember reading Bonhoeffer's uh, Cost of Discipleship when I was in high school, uh, along with this little book by uh, Miles Stanford called The Green Letters, uh, Principles of Spiritual Growth. Um, I'm reading these together in high school, and uh, part of the green letters uh, was organized around uh, Jesus' teaching in John 12, 24, uh, that says, except a kernel of wheat uh, fall into the ground and die, it abideth alone. Uh, But if it dies, it brings forth much fruit. Um, And I remember deeply wrestling and struggling with this text for months in high school uh, at the time and returning to it over and over and over again throughout my teen and young adult years. um, in part because I knew that I wasn't truly living it at the time. I wasn't truly, um, uh, I had a real you know, faith and relationship with Christ, but I knew then that I lived like 90% of my life with myself in control. Uh, uh, I had faith, God was part of my life, but most of my life, most of my everyday life at school, uh, at home, uh, 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 was uh, uh, spent with me in control uh, largely seeking my own desires, my own interests, my own social status, uh, my own success, achievement, uh, uh, rather than completely trusting and following uh, uh, the way of Christ in my everyday life at school uh, and in the world. Uh, and uh, this journey of uh, childlike faith, of letting go of control um, and moving into this, uh, uh, this way of childlike faith and trust uh, and losing one's life in order to gain it, uh, uh, right, has, of course, continued uh, uh, over the years in different ways. So uh, at times the struggle has been to, um, let, uh, to give up money, right, give money away, to let go of financial provision and uh, trust God for, for provision in those ways. At times it's, it's meant to uh, uh, let go of anger uh, and to forgive. Uh, at times it has looked like 
um, foregoing different kinds of professional status or uh, acclaim or achievement in order to uh, pursue God's better way for me and uh, my family and, uh, and what he's uh, made me and uh, made us to, to, to do. Uh, it's timed, it's, it, it's looked like being willing to risk, uh, risk disgrace uh, uh, or look foolish by identifying with Christ uh, in different, different ways. Um, lately, it's been a lot about uh, letting go of my time, giving up control over my time uh, in, in different ways. Uh, and every authentic Christian right, person, individual, and community has their own uh, journey, has their own version of this story, of the way that uh, the Spirit challenges us to uh, relinquish control, relinquish power, uh, uh, let go of um, uh, the boundaries and uh, uh, things that make us feel safe and secure and turn over those things to Jesus to let the Spirit lead uh, in surprising and different and often challenging and sometimes uncomfortable sorts of ways uh, uh, as individuals uh, or, or as communities uh, to really uh, take up our cross and follow Christ in the his way of, of self-emptying sacrificial love uh, for God and people, uh, including those who consider us their enemies. Uh, and uh, perhaps the Spirit has been speaking to you about something uh, along these lines uh, recently, uh, or, uh, or, or as we're, as we're uh, 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 worshiping here uh, uh, together today. Um, uh, Neil and I were spending some time in listening prayer uh, a few weeks ago, uh, and she shared a picture that God gave her uh, in which she was in the position of the baby Moses, uh, lying in a river in a woven basket, uh, completely helpless and vulnerable to their human and uh, to its human and natural environment. Uh, and I, I imagine myself, uh, or we can imagine uh, uh, the baby Moses laying there, right? Uh, laying there on your back, uh, unable to move, uh, feeling the thin bottom of the basket, the only thing separating you from drowning in the river, uh, looking up at the sky, your vision restricted by the walls of the basket so that you have no idea uh, who or what might, going or, uh, might be going on around you. Uh, right? It's this picture of really radical helplessness, right? this really radical vulnerability um, and, uh, of, of, of dependence right? and uh, of being completely dependent on the power and presence and provision of God to preserve life and uh, our lives and those we love. Uh, rather than depending on our own power and control and self-preserving boundaries. When I, when I imagine uh, a typical American adult in that basket, like I, meant, I imagine us like, you know, uh, we'll, we'll, we'll fight against it, right? Kind of thrashing around in a panic, uh, trying to get out of this fragile vessel, trying to move ourselves down the river or see, uh, see what's happening around us, see what, may, might, what dangers might be uh, coming around, uh, to see... Um, uh, how we can get into something, some kind of vessel that's more fortified, more protected, more safe, more uh, uh, in our in our uh, um, uh, from more more uh, more hidden from different kind of threats or dangers or, or things that uh, 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 that w we might be be afraid of or not wanting to uh, to face or to see. Um, and it's not like you know Moses's day was any less uh, wild or crazy than our day, right? Like Moses. Uh, uh, is in this position of deep vulnerability uh, uh, during it. His people are experiencing genocide and slavery. Uh, there's uh, uh, th there's there's uh, a deep oppression going on, uh, deep vulnerability for uh, for the Jewish people at the time. 
uh, and yet God was able to, there, there's, a, there's a, 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 an imperial occupation, right, of, of the Jewish people, uh, yet God is able to protect and preserve baby Moses and raise him up to bring deliverance and freedom to his people. Uh, and it's, uh, uh, we are, we are uh, uh, today is no wilder or crazier, right, uh, than, than it was then uh, and, and than, it, than it has been. So, um, I, Jesus shows us that when we let go of our ideas and ways of exercising power and control instead of entrusting and instead entrust our lives and families and communities and cities and nation to, the, the, to God, uh, the way that a child trusts its parents, uh, the way that Jesus trusted the Father, that we make room uh, for God's power and kingdom uh, to move uh, in our communities, in our cities, in our nation, uh, to bring healing and justice and freedom and peace and salvation, to bring the kingdom of God uh, and again, uh, uh, the kingdom of God, uh, which is the, uh, the way of the cross uh, uh, as well. So um, my, my, uh, my prayer for us uh, is that, uh, that the Holy Spirit uh, uh, overflows our boundaries uh, and that, uh, that we allow the Holy Spirit to overflow our boundaries uh, in ways that... Uh, um, the, he may be, uh, they may be asking us to, uh, uh, to have our boundaries overflowed and that when, um, when our boundaries are overrun or threatened by, uh, 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 by terrible giants that, uh, that we would uh, remain and abide uh, in, the, in the peace of Christ, in the power of Christ, uh, the, the, the radical childlike faith and dependence that Jesus calls us to in this passage, that he models, that he lives, and that we... Uh, learn better how to move in the power of the spirit, the power of the kingdom uh, that comes through childlike faith uh, rather than uh, continuing to attempt to shore up our control and our boundaries uh, in various ways that um, uh, are often more motivated by our own interests or fear or comfort or protection or uh, self-advancement rather than uh, uh, the radical... uh, way of following Jesus uh, and loving uh, uh, others greater than ourselves. So, Holy Spirit, please do that among us.